0: Hello, and thank you for tuning in to The Christian Skeptic. I'm your host, Sean Kerwin, and as always, it's my mission to take an honest look at our questions about Christianity through the lens of logic and reason. I'm not here to preach at you, just to start a conversation with you. I hope you enjoy the show. Well, hello, and welcome back to The Christian Skeptic. As some of my more devoted listeners uh, will notice and have pointed out to me, I've taken a little bit of a break from releasing podcast episodes. And that is simply because I needed a little bit of a vacation from the podcast. And I've taken some time to do some research in the meantime. You see, I wanted to start this new year, which is 2021, a year that is following what has been one of the more rough years we've experienced as a people, as humanity, as the world. And I wanted to start off the year following that by talking about heaven, and then about hell, because I feel like it's unfair to cover one without covering the other, since they are opposites of each other. So let's jump right into it. This episode will be a part one episode on heaven, Which implies that there will be a part two, and there might even be a part three, because as I've been researching heaven, I've realized there is a lot to talk about on heaven, and there's a lot to talk about on hell, so we might do two or three or ten parts on heaven and hell each. I don't know. Probably not ten. I'm just spitballing here. But I want to lay a foundation. I want to lay some groundwork. You see, I got an email recently from a listener named Chrissy. And Chrissy, thank you so much for emailing me. And we had a brief conversation and she posed a question in the email and I asked her permission if it was okay to talk about this on the show. And obviously she said yes, because, well, here we are talking about it. But she asked a question about heaven. And she posed the question by telling me that her mom has always described heaven in a way that didn't really provide comfort or closure or resolution to her. She said that heaven was a place that she will want for nothing, quote unquote, and then asked a question that I think is on many of our hearts and minds, has been on my own heart and mind, and that's how will I feel about heaven if my friends aren't there with me? If people I care about don't get to be in heaven with me, ultimately that means that they are in hell, not heaven. How can heaven be paradise, which is what the Bible says of it, how can it be paradise if the people I've grown to love won't be there with me? But worse than that, I know they will be in eternal torment in hell, while I am in eternal bliss. And so, not to leave you too much of a cliffhanger, but I want to start with the first part of the question in this episode, and we'll get to the second part in the next episode, or if this episode spills into a part two, then we'll get into it in part three, but we will get into both parts of the question. But what I want to cover for the remaining time we have today is, what is heaven actually like? What does the Bible say about heaven? And the Bible says a lot about heaven. Jesus said in John 14, In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I told you that I'd go to prepare a place for you? In Revelation 21, one of the more famous verses, heaven is described as a place where he, God, will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And then there was a thief on the cross that was dying, and he confessed faith in Jesus as Lord, and Jesus turned to him and said, Truly I say to you in Luke 23, today you will be with me in paradise. Again, Revelation 21 says that there is no temple in the city, speaking of the new Jerusalem in heaven, for its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb, and the city has no need for sun or moon to shine it, for the glory of God gives it its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light... Will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory to it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. And indeed, Revelation 21 goes on to describe this great city, walls of jasper, streets of gold. And so, one thing's obvious to us from the biblical description of heaven it's that it's actually a place, that it's a physical place with physical attributes. And I think that's important to realize, because as is custom in these episodes, apparently. We have to go back to the gospel, right? Which, well, you know the gospel. It's that Jesus came to this earth, fully God, fully man. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He died on the cross to pay for the sins of the world, and then he rose from the grave. He promised that those who believe in him would have a similar fate, that though they die, they would rise, and then he promised he's coming back, and Revelation is the whole story of him coming back. But there's something very important in the gospel, and if you've listened to the shows before, you know what I'm about to say, and that's the resurrection, right? The resurrection, as I've said before, is the power of the gospel. But let's stop to consider what the resurrection actually is. It is a resurrection. It is a rising from the dead. It is a physically evident body that was once dead is now alive and breathing. And so the Bible also says that those who rise with Christ will be resurrected in a similar sense to which Jesus was resurrected. Actually, the Bible, Paul writes in his epistles that Jesus was the first fruits of the resurrection, which if you know anything about farming or about growing things or have a green thumb, which I do not, but what I do know is that usually the second fruits look just like the first fruits as long as they're not dead fruits. And so what that then implies is that we will physically be resurrected in the same fashion that Jesus was physically resurrected and then ascended to heaven. But there's some, gosh, there's so much going on here about heaven. Because back to Revelation 21, we also see heaven coming down to earth at the very end of the Bible. So the whole idea of heaven isn't that heaven is this ethereal place in the clouds, or that it's some far off land in the sky that we're going to beam up to or ascend to. We know that there's something right now that isn't permanent. Jesus gives a parable of a rich man and a man named Lazarus, who was a beggar, and they both died, and the rich man went to hell, and Lazarus went to what Jesus described as this place called Abraham's bosom, which sounds super Jewish and super Old Testamenty, but which was not described with walls of jasper and streets of gold and no night and, and God being the temple and his glory lighting the nations of the earth. And so the Bible gives some indication that the moment we die, we will be with Christ, though not in physical form just yet, because the Bible says the resurrection is still yet to come. But all that to say, heaven comes down to earth. The end goal isn't, as some Christians like to say, well, it's all going to burn in the end. No, the end goal is heaven comes down to earth, is that this creation is renewed and restored. It's that the mountains you look at, outside of your window and you see, or the ocean you look outside of your window and see, or the rivers or the streams or the sky, that it's all going to be made new. That it's all going to be restored. That when in Genesis God made the earth and he said it's good, he meant it. And yeah, we've ruined it and we've hurt our climate and we've damaged our earth. But the promise of heaven coming down to earth is a restoration of earth and a resurrection of Christians. But alas biblically speaking, that still isn't what defines heaven. You see, in Matthew 13, Jesus gave a whole bunch of parables in a row, and they were all about the kingdom of heaven. So theologians, who are wordsmiths, named them the parables of the kingdom. And in these parables, Jesus gave a parable about some wheat and some tares. He gave a parable about a mustard seed. He gave a parable about yeast and flour. And then he gave a parable about treasure hidden in a field and a pearl that cost a very great price and a net full of fish. And so if we kind of divide these parables even further, we can actually separate the first three from the second three. You see, the first three, when we talk about the wheat and the tares, is about the world and the seed, which is the seed of the gospel being sown into the world. And the good wheat grows and the tares grow and then they're separated at the harvest time, which is the judgment. And the mustard seed, right? That faith on this earth is not yet realized until heaven. And then heaven is like a tree. And this isn't the only place heaven's compared to a tree. And so we'll we'll circle back to that. And then a similar parable is told with yeast and flour. How the yeast rises through the flour until the bread is all the way done. And then we have the last three, which is a parable of treasure hidden in a field. That the kingdom of heaven is like that. When a man found it, Matthew 13, 44, he hid it again. And then, in his joy, went and sold all that he had and bought the field. And then again, there's a pearl that a merchant found. And when he found one of great value, he went and sold everything he had and bought it. And then there's a parable about a fish. That the kingdom of heaven is a net that was let down into a lake and caught all kinds of fish. And then a fisherman pulled ashore and sat down and collected the good fish in baskets and threw the bad away. And again, speaking to judgment. But there's something really key we need to notice about the treasure in the field and the pearl of great price. Not to be confused with the Mormon work, the pearl of great price. Completely false teaching, not a Christian teaching. Sorry if I offend you, but also not that sorry. If we break down these parables, what we see is that the kingdom of heaven isn't the treasure. The kingdom of heaven isn't the pearl. But rather, if we look at these with a gospel lens, there's a man in both of these stories that sold everything he had to purchase both of these items. And so what does that sound like? Well, that sounds like the gospel, right? It sounds like Jesus who gave up everything he had to purchase you and I. And so then the treasure and the pearl is actually you. It's me. You're the treasure. I'm the pearl. You're the pearl. I'm the treasure. But then we got to ask, well, how is that heaven? And I think it clears it up, actually, if we look at marriage a little bit especially how the Apostle Paul described marriage. You see, the Apostle Paul described marriage in Ephesians chapter 5 so well that, well, pretty much everyone quotes that chapter at weddings nowadays, especially Christian weddings. And if you've been to a wedding at any kind of church, I know you've heard Ephesians 5 quoted at a wedding. It's either that or 1 Corinthians 13. The verse is all about love. But in Ephesians 5, Paul talks about a wife submitting to her husband and the husband submitting and laying down his life to the wife so that he may present her a glorious an honorable wife, and then Paul says at the end of that. But I really, I'm talking about Jesus and the church. I'm talking about the gospel. Marriage just kind of models this, and it's not like when Paul was sending this letter to the church at Ephesus, he was like, okay, I need to tell them how to be good Christians with their parents. I need to tell them how to be good Christians with their neighbors, and oh, I have to tell them how to be good Christians with marriage. But how can I do that? What example can I use? Oh, I know. I'll use. I'll use the. Example of Jesus in the church. It wasn't like that. It wasn't like Paul was looking for an example. It was that the gospel brings us into a relationship with Christ that is so intimate, so unique, so fulfilling, so what we've been longing for, for all of our existence, that the only relationship powerful enough we have to even get close to that image is a marriage relationship. Right? I mean, come on, all, all the... Uh, Romance movies, all the prince and princess movies are about the prince risking everything to get the princess. It's about the blonde-haired, blue-eyed hero becoming a pirate for ten years, only to one day find his true love, risk life and limb and death and pain, so that they can ride off into the sunset and be happily ever after together. And while The Princess Bride is the greatest movie of all time, and you can argue, but you'll be wrong, is that not what we have in the parables? of the treasure and the pearl. A man risks and loses, gives up everything to be with his one true love, his creation, us. And so then the essence of heaven is a person. The essence of heaven is Jesus. That's why Jesus talks about people being rejected upon their judgment. The one time that is coming for all of us in life where we hope the gates of heaven will be open to us. Jesus says many will say to him on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons in your names and perform many mighty works? And he will say, depart from me, I never knew you. And please don't miss this. I was at a, a Bible study just last week, and we were talking about salvation. We were talking about how do you know someone is truly saved or not? And we were sitting around a table giving answers, good answers, but it made me pause. And, and I asked the group a question, and I said, what is salvation? What is salvation? And the answers that came back to me were, oh, well, salvation is a lifestyle. And oh, well, you know, salvation is our hope or is the defining characteristic of faith. And all, you know, really well thought out answers. But when everyone had paused, I said, yeah, those are all wrong. Because again, think about the gospel. Salvation isn't a process. Salvation isn't an event. Salvation isn't a lifestyle or a fashion or the definition of Christianity or the defining glimmer of hope that we have salvation is a person that's what he said right jesus didn't say i'm here to give you the way he said i am the way i am the truth and i am the life no one goes to the father except through me and so therefore heaven is salvation realized heaven is reuniting us with the one who is our salvation even if we go back to what jesus said about in my father's house there are many rooms some translations say. In my father's kingdom, there are many mansions. But really, a proper translation when we go back to the Greek is, In my father's house, there are many rooms. I'll put it this way. I have a very good friend, one of my best friends. He lives over on the East Coast. He was on this uh, show a few episodes ago. We were talking about politics. And I love visiting him. It's such a blast. I've, I've been out there for weeks at a time. We hang out. We go to the ocean. We eat really good food. We tell dumb jokes. We go to museums. We go on hikes. But never in any of my visits out there have I told him, you know what? I'm not leaving. I'm going to move in with you. This is better than home. And I haven't said that because that's kind of silly. Because I know that would be silly because that's not my home. And the main reason is because my family's not there. Specifically, the one whom I'm married to, my wife, is not there. You see, when I I went to visit him last, my wife wasn't with me. So it would have been really silly for me to say to him, you know what? I'm moving in. Screwed over on the couch. (laughs) This is my spot now. Yet, if my wife and I moved to the city, then it would be our home, right? So you kind of get the point I'm making here. Home is about a relationship, and we even know that here on earth. And heaven's no different. The ultimate home, the ultimate heaven, is about a relationship. Which kind of answers the question, and we're almost out of time, so we are going to have to get into this part of the question a little bit more next time. But it then stands to reason, if someone rejects Jesus they are rejecting heaven. It's a logical fallacy to say, if someone rejects Jesus, can they still go to heaven? Because the defining aspect of heaven is that Jesus is the focal point of it. Or to put it another way, if you don't want to know Jesus in an intimate relationship, you're really not going to want heaven. Because as I alluded to earlier, the Bible says that in heaven, there is a river. And on either side of the river, the tree of life, is there with its 12 fruits, yielding fruit in each month. This is Revelation 22. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. And it's interesting because there are two places in the Bible that talk about the tree of life, and that's Genesis and Revelation. You see the tree of life was in the garden of eden in creation and the tree of life exists in heaven and in heaven as it comes down to earth but there is another place where the tree of life mentioned and that's in proverbs you see proverbs says that hope deferred makes the heart sick but when the desire comes it is a tree of life and the tree of life is a little difficult to define but suffice it for the short amount of time we have left to say it's a picture And while this may just be the ex-pastor coming out in me, what I think we need to take away is heaven is a place, heaven is a person, and heaven is a picture. And what do I mean by that? Well, I mean that heaven is given to us in the Bible in parables only. And even when John sees heaven, when Ezekiel sees heaven, in the Old Testament... They can't actually fully describe heaven. They kind of say, well, it was kind of like this, and it kind of had eyes like this, and it was kind of like a wheel-like shape, and, and the throne was kind of like this, and there was a sea that kind of looked like glass, and it's all a picture. Because as Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, he says, as it is written, what no eye has seen nor ear has heard, nor heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. And so in one sense, heaven is described very exactly in that if you know Jesus, you know heaven. And so in one sense, if you're confused and you're thinking, well, I don't know heaven, I don't know if I'll go to heaven, I don't know if I actually have salvation, I would ask you, do you actually know Jesus? And to which you would probably reply, well, how do I know if I know Jesus? And to which I would reply, well, have you read the word? You see over and over again in Paul's letters, he says for the followers of Christ to be imitators of Christ as dear children. And when I think of children, children imitate not only the things they hear people say, especially their parents say, but they imitate the things they see people do, especially things they see their parents do. And so, The principle then stands, we have to know what God says, and we have to watch what he does. And luckily, the Bible is a complete record of God's people recording what God says and what God does. So do you know Jesus? Have you read the entire Bible? Have you read the history? Have you read the law? Have you read the poets? Have you read the prophets, the major and minor prophets, because the love letters of God are really in the prophets? And so I find, just a side note, the moments in life when I'm most anxious, when I feel like life seems most stressful, I find it actually helpful to turn to the minor prophets to see the love that God pours out, the begging and pleading God does with for his children, his family, to turn to him and repent. That's a total side. That's for free. But if you're wondering that, I would say, read the Word. Read the entire Word. Don't just read the Psalms and the Proverbs. Don't just read a devotional, but read the whole Bible. And I'm trying to say this with love, dear fellow Christian, because I know coming out of 2020, you're anxious. I know coming out of 2020, more problems were revealed, probably than solutions for most of us, and perhaps more alcohol was consumed than pages of the Bible turned. But it's 2021, and maybe you're listening to this at an even later date, and we can change that. Let's do it. Okay, I'm off my soapbox now. Back to the point. Heaven is described in very precise terms in the person of Jesus, but it's described in very picturesque terms everywhere else and that's because until we get there we have to take what the bible says about heaven and imagine it and imagine it and think about it and meditate on it day and night like david said until the truth about it in the bible overwhelms our imagination because the the images that the bible gives us about heaven are very very clear that the moment we see heaven the moment we see christ the moment we see god face to face, we will be overwhelmed like we never have been in our entire existence. And the more you know who God is, what God says, and what God does, the better you'll be able to imagine heaven. I think it's very safe to say that heaven will not be boring. I think it's very safe to say that the will of God is that we look like him, we act like him, we love like him, we work like him. According to the Bible, heaven's going to be full of relationship. Heaven's going to be full of activity. Heaven's going to be full of work? That's not something you typically hear people say. But if you know the God of the Old Testament and the New Testament, which is the same God, you know that part of God's will is work. Part of God's will is relationship. Part of God's will is friendship. Part of God's will is fun. Part of God's will is music and dance and life and creativity and logic and reason. And as Jesus taught us to pray, in heaven... God's will is done. And I think I've quoted this before, but it's worth saying again. C.S. Lewis said, in the end, there are only two kinds of people. Those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says, thy will be done. But for those of us that do say to God, thy will be done, the question does still remain, won't I be so sad for my friends to whom God says thy will be done? And we will get to that question on the next episode. So as always, Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you've enjoyed the show.